0: I want to invite you, please, to open the Bible, as we do every Lord's Day here at MetroCrest. We always turn to God's Word. We always turn to the Bible. And today I'd like you to open to the very first book of the New Testament, to Matthew. And today we'll be looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. You'll find it in the Pew Bible, in front of you, on page 808. You'll also find it in the program on page... um, 8, and uh, you can also look it up in your smartphone or whatever you do, look up the Bible. We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Please stand. Matthew writes these words. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd be pleased now to send your Spirit upon us. That that same Spirit that moved your servant Matthew to record the words we just read. May that same spirit, Father, be at work within us. That same spirit that served that stirred your servant John. May that same spirit stir our hearts. And give us grace to hear your word, to believe it, Father, to obey it, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Have you noticed how people today have started decorating for Christmas earlier and earlier each year? Um, Just a while ago, I was over at Sam's. It was uh, near the end of Halloween, I guess it was maybe the day after Halloween, or Halloween had, was just passing, and there in this enormous warehouse store, they were um, putting up the, the snowmen and the reindeers and Santa Clauses at the exact same time, they were taking down the black cats, ghosts, and monsters, and it made quite a jarring impression if you walked into Sam's on that particular day to have all these different images staring out at you. Black cats, witches, Santa, and reindeer all at the same time. And I don't know, that sort of seems what happens in our culture increasingly these days. Holiday whiplash, where we jump from one holiday to the next. And it's usually, it's usually driven by buying stuff. Sam's is not alone. Uh, You can go to many malls and stores around Dallas and around the country, around the world, and you'll see this this fixation on buying, buying, buying. That has become a little bit of an obsession in our culture. Um, I wonder who it was that decided that the day after Thanksgiving would be called Black Friday, And be the biggest shopping day of the year, exceeded sometimes only by Cyber Monday, when we're all supposed to go online and spend the money we have left over from Black Friday. We're supposed to spend it on Cyber Monday. And it's just this nonstop cycle of spend, 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 buy, buy, buy. And sadly, there are many among us in our community where that's kind of what Christmas is. It's about stuff. Often it's about warm, fuzzy feelings around the stuff. Hopefully some smiles in the picture. But it's, it's increasingly, I think, for many of us, it's about stuff. Super sales, deep discounts, unbelievable savings, cheap, 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 cheap. Well, you've, you've heard it all. I have as well. Our heads are often spinning. And it's very interesting that there's all this talk about Christmas and so little talk about Christ. I mean, you can can go for a long time without hearing a meaningful reference to Christ. And that's just too bad. Here at MetroCrest, we have a slightly different idea. I'm happy to tell you, yesterday with... Daniel Greiser's excellent uh, leadership, a little group of people came into this room and began decorating for Advent and Christmas. And if you look around, you'll see the handiwork of, what, an hour and a half, I guess, uh, where people came in and lovingly tried to put things back exactly where it's always been, uh, which is part of what we do on Advent, to preparing for Advent Sunday. We, we put up the reeds and we try to remember where did we put those? What's the scene? Oh, I remember a story about that. I know how that came to be there. You might notice in the lobby, if you're really observant, that a couple things are in a different place. So brace yourself. When you go out in the lobby, brace yourself. One or two things have been moved around. There's a long story to each one of them. But uh, the emphasis was on preparing for Christ. Preparing our meeting place. Where we would gather, we knew yesterday we'd be gathering here this morning and we wanted to deck the halls in a way that would remind us of what we're thinking about today. And I'm happy to tell you, at the end of the morning, after we'd all had worked a while, had some donuts, Daniel and all of us gathered in a circle out in the lobby and Daniel led us in a prayer prayer. That God would help us to remember what Christmas is really about. And to remember that at the middle of this holiday is not bye, 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 bye. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that's what we are here this morning to do, to prepare for Christ. And Advent at its very best is about that. It's about preparing for Christ and interestingly it's a it's a season that has a a variety of focuses it's it's of course to prepare for christmas it's not a coincidence it comes a few weeks before christmas And a lot of the readings, a lot of the things we'll be thinking about, a lot of the things we'll think about as we light the candles have to do with with the first coming of Christ. That's what Advent means, coming. And so Advent is a time to prepare ourselves to celebrate the anniversary of the first coming of Christ. But it's not only about the first coming of Christ. It's also about the second coming of Christ. Because what we want to do is not only to prepare for a day when we remember his birth. We want to prepare for the day when he will return in glory. And you'll notice in this season that we will be singing, like we did today, hymns (coughs) that include reference to both. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, that's not only our opening hymn, it's also a prayer. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That is a prayer. It's the church's prayer. And it's a prayer we want to think about this morning as we prepare for Christ. And I guess you could say the patron saint of all this preparation was a man named John the Baptist. And that was not his denomination. He didn't have the group around the corner from Fred the Presbyterian. John the Baptist had a very specific and essential role to play, and it will shed light on our role to play as well. So let's think about that this morning as we open our Bibles again to the passage I just read. If you would, open your Bible again to Matthew chapter 3. You'll find it on page 808 preparing the way of the lord that's the name of the sermon series that's the name of the sermon and that's what we're going to be thinking about between now and christmas preparing the way for the lord first of all it's very important if we're going to do this it's very important for us to understand john the baptist you know it's very interesting i don't think many people <clears throat> really understand John the Baptist. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. If you look, you will not find very many books about John the Baptist. I thought that was very interesting. I went to Amazon and I I figured I'd find at least uh, a couple of dozen titles having to do with John the Baptist. And I was surprised that is not the case. There are not currently many titles that I could find anyway about John the Baptist. Now, there are lots of commentaries on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because all of them mention John the Baptist. In fact, all of them mention John the Baptist quite prominently. In fact, Mark's gospel literally begins with John the Baptist. The very first thing, it says, it says the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then boom, we start talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist to the gospel writers is extremely important. And as we look through this series, we'll see a number of places, a number of things that are said and done, which underscore this man and his ministry. It's important for us to understand him if we're going to understand what is said about him. So uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Um, I've been lately putting the the Greek text, I'm taking Greek 101 again, 35 years after I took it the first time. And I've got to tell you, I I honestly delight in learning more about how knowing Greek sheds light on the Bible passages that we've been looking at. We've done Ephesians, we've done the book of Acts. This morning we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Well, if you look on page 8, you'll see, in case you're curious... The Greek text for Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And if, if you look uh, there at the very first line on page 8 under the Greek New Testament, you look there and uh, you count a few words over. Uh, I think it's uh, seventh, eighth, and nine words, ninth words on the first line of the passage there. You'll see, Ioannis O Baptistes. Johannes O Baptistes. Now, my wife and I love the name John so much that we named one of our sons John. We prayed for him just a moment ago. Well, in this room, at this very moment, is a young man named Johannes. His parents loved that name so much, they took the Greek version, which is also heard in German, and they named their son Johannes. And the name Johannes is a precious name because it means <clears throat> the Lord is gracious. Whenever you hear that Yah sound in Hebrew, it's, it's usually a, refer- a nod to the word Yahweh or uh, the Lord. And Johannes means the Lord is gracious. And that was the man we meet here in the first line of chapter three, Johannes, whom we call John the Baptist. It's actually Baptistes, and it's, it's not, as I say jokingly, it's not a reference to uh, something about a denominational affiliation somehow that separated him from other Christians, or a distinctive of his ministry that separated him from other Christians or from other people who were looking for the coming Messiah. No, the Baptistes underscores what he did. John the Baptist was a baptizer. He baptized people. And in all the Gospels, what is most striking about John was that he was a baptizer. He was someone who baptized people. In fact, John the baptizer baptized Jesus to John's questioning involvement. He he said, this doesn't seem right. I, I shouldn't baptize you but John the baptizer baptized Jesus. And we won't really understand John if if we don't understand that he came to baptize. You know, baptism was not something John invented. Baptism, this thing that he was doing, was actually how non-Jews became members of the Jewish community. There was a way that if you came in and you were Came a part of the Jewish community, they would recognize you by baptizing you. It's not something a Jewish person needed to do. It was something a non-Jewish person usually did. But John the baptizer actually came in and baptized everyone. It became his sort of his signature. That's what he did. He baptized the people who came out to him. And, and we're going to read about how the whole, the whole city of Jerusalem... And all Judea and all the region in verse 5. They all come out. And what does John do? He baptizes them. We'll be thinking more about that over the next few Sundays. Because that's what John the Baptist did. John the baptizer was a baptizer. We also know some unusual things about him. Uh, we know that in verse 4 he had an unusual uh, Wardrobe, I have an unusual wardrobe. Uh, I think it was Josh Wyman who pointed out that I usually wear a white shirt and gray or green pants. That's my uniform. And uh, I realize not everybody dresses that way. That's That's my wardrobe. You may have a wardrobe. Well, John the Baptist had a wardrobe. And Josh, as weird as my wardrobe may be, John's was weirder. John wore a garment, it says, of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Um, I used to have a camel's hair coat that I treasured. It was was a really nice coat, and I loved it. But that's not the kind of camel's hair that John wore. Uh, The camel's hair that John would have worn in the first century was rough. I mean, I don't know if you've ever met a camel. I've met a camel. And camel's hair, as it was rendered at this time, is rough. It's not smooth. It's not soft. When we go to the store and buy camel's hair, it's often very, very fine and very smooth. Not so in John's day. So why does Matthew record? In fact, why do all the gospel writers record that John had this unusual wardrobe, that he wore Uh, garments of uh, camel's hair and specifically that he wore a leather belt. Why is that mentioned in this passage? Well, Matthew is telling us something about John the Baptist, something that we need to understand. John the Baptizer was a prophet and the prophets were known for a couple of things. One of them, they were known for their asceticism. We're told John's Um, diet as well as his wardrobe he had an unusual diet i don't know what you had for your thanksgiving meal but i'll bet it probably wasn't locusts anybody have locusts for thanksgiving no i didn't think so john ate locusts that was his diet locusts and specifically wild honey interestingly locusts are the only insect in the old testament that were clean the the, locust was clean uh Part of that was the history of Israel. They'd eaten, as God provided for them, they'd eaten this nutritious insect. It was part of their diet while they made their way through the the wilderness. And this idea of wild honey, well, the promised land was actually called the land of milk and honey. It was one of the ways God blessed the the land where he had led his people was through this abundance of, of honey, this rich, sweet, Uh, Food that that, uh, was a delight to eat and added uh, sweetness to what it was uh, served with. Well, John came in and he ate those things and he dressed the way he did because that's kind of a, a, a sign indicator of how we are to understand him. He's not just a colorful character, he is a prophet. And if we're going to understand anything that he says, we have to understand that. Now, it's specifically telling us a couple of things about this prophet. If you flip over just a few pages to the very last book in the Old Testament, if you flip over to Malachi, and you look at the very last verses of the Old Testament as we receive it, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 on page 803, you'll see what Matthew wants us to know about this man's unusual wardrobe and diet. He's pointing towards something. He's helping us understand something about John the Baptist so that we will understand John the Baptist's message. It says, Behold, this is the Lord speaking, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So flip back over to Matthew 3. Matthew, along with Mark, Luke, and John, wants us to understand that this prophet came with a particular ministry. He came as a preacher, no doubt about that. We know that he came as a preacher, and that's what we're shown here in chapter 3, verse 1. He came preaching. But he was a a preacher in some very important ways. And it has to do with this prophetic ministry. So let's just read again. John the Baptist came preaching. He came preaching. Proclaiming. The Greek word written here was something we learned in the first semester. Caruso. Well John came carusoing In the wilderness it says. He came into the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Well the people of Israel had crossed the wilderness. The wilderness was this isolated place. It, was, it wasn't like the city where there was always a crowd. The, the wilderness represented the, this place of ascetic devotion where people would go and spend time with the Lord. And it was out there where John the Baptizer baptized. It was out in the wilderness on the banks of the river. It was in the wilderness of Judea. See, John the Baptist came with a particular message for the people of the Jewish race, the, the, the Jewish covenant community. John came with a particular message for them. And that was what he was preaching. He came preaching to them. And that message was the message that had been entrusted to the prophets all along. The pro, the the reality of judgment which had been entrusted to the prophets, and this call to do something about it. It's called repent, metanoia. John called people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven, he said, is at hand. That's a quote from John, and it's again a quote that shows up in all the Gospels. This is what John preached as he baptized. (laughs) Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John came as a preacher, and we need to understand that. He came as a preacher in a particular place in the wilderness outside Jerusalem in the, the cities of Judea. He came to the people of the Jews. That was his particular ministry. And if we're going to understand John the Baptist, if we're going to understand what he tells us about Christ, we'll have to understand those things. In the second half of verse 1 and, and through the end of the, chap, the passage, You'll see in verse 3, for instance, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and here John is opening up his, and Matthew, who is interpreting John, is opening up the Bible and looking to an Old Testament prophet, another prophet named named Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, and he quotes him. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this prophet, this man anointed by God, that we need to understand this about him, he was sent into the world, and he has this message, and it's a message that fulfills what the Old Testament has been saying from the time of Isaiah. And we see it in Malachi. We see that this message is part of what John comes to do. He comes to point people and to direct them towards the Lord, to prepare for him, to... To make his path straight. And that's what John came to do. He was preparing the way of the Lord. There's no emphasis on John's pedigree. You know, Luke tells us a lot about John's pedigree. John was the son of a priest, Zechariah. That means John was a Levite. John was a member of the special order that took care of the temple. The the special order that offered sacrifices. In fact, where we meet Zechariah, John's father... Was as John was working in the temple. Sorry, when Zechariah was working in the temple. Zechariah was doing what he was called to do. And that's the context in which we first meet John. We first hear about John. That his father was a priest. Well, Matthew doesn't tell us about that. Luke does. Matthew doesn't. He doesn't emphasize John's pedigree. You know, Luke also tells us that John was Jesus' cousin. Elizabeth John's mother was a kinsperson, a kin, a kinsman to Mary. Matthew doesn't tell us that. That's not the important thing in Matthew's telling of the story. He doesn't talk about how important John was. Did you know that in the uh, uh, in the eleventh uh, chapter of Matthew, verses eleven to fourteen, the Lord Jesus says. There is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11. There is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But here in in chapter 3, it's not Matthew's concern to tell us how great John was. He doesn't focus on any of those those things. What he focuses on is that he preached repentance and that it was the fulfillment of. Of the scriptures. The promises of God to his covenant people. That was what Matthew stressed. Here at the beginning of the gospel. Here at the beginning of this reflection. On who Jesus was. What he came to do. John. uh, Matthew focused on these aspects. What John did. Was preach repentance. And what he did was point towards Christ. And preparing for Christ. That's what John did. He was, was in a way, the the transition from the Old to the New Testament. He stands here at the beginning of all the Gospels as this prophetic figure who fulfills all that the prophets were intended to do, the the role of Elijah. He wasn't the reincarnation of Elijah. A couple of times John's asked, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, what he meant was he, he was a different person. He wasn't the reincarnation. He wasn't like... Uh, Elijah come back into the world somehow no John understood that he was fulfilling the role of Elijah the role of Elijah that Malachi envisions that Malachi told us about the vision that Isaiah had talked about here in John the Baptist we have this coming together of all that God had promised that this man was pointing towards the great fulfillment Of the scriptures. And he says, prepare his way. Prepare the way of the Lord. The the one who's gracious, the Lord is gracious in John's name. Well, John came to say, prepare the way of that one who is coming. And that's the role John filled. That's the role John filled. He knew that he himself needed to decrease so that Jesus would increase. He understood that. He knew that all the prophetic foreshadowing of the Old Testament needed to decrease, not because it's less important, but because when the fulfillment comes into the picture, the the role, the significance of, of what points towards it changes. He's here now. He's here now. Preparing the way for the Lord is what John ultimately gave his life to do. He wound up being martyred. You know, we read a few weeks ago about Herod and a man who was a friend of Herod who was a part of the church in Antioch. Well, Herod killed John the Baptist in a particularly awful, dramatic, unnecessary way. John the Baptist gave his life for the message that had been entrusted to him. And if we're going to understand John the Baptist, we have to understand that. Now, what does that mean for us? Maybe you knew some of that. What does that mean for you and me sitting here today, 2022? looking towards a new advent, looking towards a new year, looking towards another Christmas, looking beyond that to the rest of our lives. What what does the ministry of John the Baptist have to do with you and me? Well, the ministry of John the Baptist is unique. There was only one John the Baptist, but there's a sense in which we share the privilege of what John the Baptist came to do. The purpose of my life is not to point towards me. At my lowest, that's what I tend to do. I point towards me. And the point of your life is not to point towards you. At your lowest, you might sometimes do that as well. We can do that in Christmas time. We can point towards ourselves. We can get very sentimental about warm feelings about the past. We can get very caught up in the by, 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 by mentality. Even Christians get sucked into that. But ultimately, the purpose of your life and my life, the purpose of the life of Metrochrist Presbyterian Church is not to point towards ourselves. It's always to point beyond ourselves to Jesus and to call men and women to prepare for him. And brothers and sisters, I can't think of anything much more countercultural today in this season of Christmas than to say with seriousness, "Prepare the way of the Lord." Repent." When did you ask get a Christmas card that said, "Repent?" That's not what we say in Christmas cards. And I'm not saying we go around with camel skin and uh, eating weird food i don't think that's the message we're to take away from john's unique once for all ministry but acknowledging sin in the midst of our preparing for christmas is absolutely right advent is a penitential season you'll notice we've got some banners up they're dark purple that's not by accident Advent is meant to be a penitential season. It's not a lugubrious season, but it's a penitential season. Because we know the Holy One, the Lord, the Lord is coming. He has come in Bethlehem. And He will come again in great glory. And every Advent is just a little dress rehearsal. It's a little dress rehearsal of every day of our life. It's a little dress rehearsal for the, for the great day when Jesus Christ will return. You know, uh, out in the lobby, we have copies of uh, the Table Talk magazine. Uh, we provide that to anybody who wants one here at Metcrest. And I gave one to one of our new members who's been coming, Elena, over here. And I recommend it to you very highly because you know what the whole December issue is? It's just out there in the lobby. The December issue is about... The second coming of Christ. Christmas time is actually a time not only to reflect on his first coming and his birth in Bethlehem, but to look through that and beyond that to the great day when Jesus Christ will return again. When he will deal once and for all with all the things that the prophets were pointing towards. That John the Baptist was pointing towards. That we would prepare a way in our day. When a great king came you made his way straight. When an emperor would come. In John's day, you would make his way straight. It was a very big deal. We've lost a little bit of the sense of that today, but it was a very big deal this idea of preparing for the coming of the Great One. Well, in Jesus Christ, we prepare for the coming of the Greatest One. And we prepare for Him by repenting. We prepare for Him by humbling ourselves before Him, not by being self focused, not by being hung up on. On how wonderful we are, or uh, focusing on the, the things that make us special, we prepare for him by focusing on the things that are sadly true of us. We just pray a confession of sin, and I love the fact Will gave us uh, quite a chunk of time there to reflect on that. We don't do that. Is a religious window dressing. We do it during Advent. We do it every single Sunday because every single Sunday we need to confess. We need to repent. And that's that's what Advent reminds us of. That calls us to do that. Well, I want to call each one of you as you prepare for Christmas, as you teach your children about Christmas, fit into it. We're preparing for Christmas because we're sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners. And we prepare for Christ's coming by acknowledging that. We don't stop there. There's a whole gospel around that. But it always includes that. You can't have the gospel without the realization of sin and brokenness and neediness. It is an indispensable part of our preparing the way of the Lord to turn to him and admit those things. Well, we'll be thinking more about these things this Advent as we prepare for Christmas. We'll be thinking about those things, and I encourage you to be thinking about them, to be praying about them, to be reflecting with your family, with your kids About the the wonder of what Christ came to do and and the, the wonder that he came to do it for people who are broken and have nothing to give him apart from his mercy.